We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us, Lord, this time. Lord, thank you for what you did on that cross. And Lord, uh, just the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Thank you for, Lord, rising from the dead, for your willingness, Lord, to meet us here. And Lord, we pray now that as we open your word, Lord, that you would take your word, Lord, and you pierce our hearts. God, that you speak to us and you'd be glorified. And Lord, that you would bless this time as we study together. And we ask that you would save, that you would sanctify, that you'd be glorified. Pray for our children across the street, Lord, keep them safe and continue, Lord, to plant your word in their hearts as well. Again, we love you, Lord. Bless this time, we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I knew Henry was going to do that, man. That's cool, huh? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Wow. Uh, Easter, What an awesome day. Uh, I pray that you guys are excited about what the Lord has done and, and just what he's going to do. You know, this day is a day that actually um, it communicates to us that sin has not won, that hell has not won, that death has not won. Um, you know, Henry was talking about the husband earlier who has cancer. And uh, I would venture to say that there are probably many of you here today who have loved ones have passed from that disease or maybe um, they are currently fighting that fight or maybe uh, you will hear those words in the future you know and as Christians you know we live in a fallen world our world is broken um, but we don't have to be afraid doesn't mean we don't hurt doesn't mean we don't cry but one day there'll be no more cancer Uh, there'll be no more death there'll be no more pain and there'll be no more illness because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, we stand in that victory. And that's what this day is all about. I don't know what you have planned for the day, but I pray that you would not miss the message of Jesus Christ and his cross and his rising from the dead. You know, believe it or not, many people do not know what Easter is really all about. And I say that uh, seriously. A recent poll said that 60% of Americans will go to church today But of the 60%, only 25% really know what Easter signifies, what this day is really all about. And so, of course, it makes you wonder what kind of churches they're going to or maybe even if they're listening when they go. Uh, One pastor even told a story about a Sunday school teacher who asked her class to write in a single sentence uh, what Easter meant to them. And one little boy wrote, what Easter means to me is egg salad sandwiches for the next two weeks. (laughs) You know, and just in case you're wondering, 732 million eggs are sold during Easter week. A lot of people don't really understand what it's all about. For some, Easter does indeed revolve around a, a rabbit. It's about a bunny. And one's quest for candy and eggs, you know. Uh, yesterday I was reading an article. It was real interesting. Uh, interesting facts about Easter. And according to the article, chocolate eggs are the most popular of the Easter candies. Uh, the article said 
that after Halloween, Easter is the second top-selling confectionery holiday, which is a holiday with a dish or delicacy that's made with sweet ingredients. Um, the, the article said the largest Easter egg ever made was 25 feet high. Can you imagine that? It weighed 9,000 pounds, made of chocolate and marshmallow. I think I'll just dive into that, right? Uh, it's in the Guinness Book World, World of Book Records. Uh, approximately 16 billion jelly beans are made for Easter, uh, many of them in baskets. And so if all those jelly beans were strung together, they would actually circle the globe three times. Um, you guys like yellow peeps? You know those little candies? Uh, they're the most popular according to this article. And uh, the largest Easter egg hunt uh, consisted of 501,000 eggs and were searched for by 9,700 children with their parents, and they fought for every egg. <laughs> and, and, you know, these were the reported facts about Easter I was reading in the paper. And again, don't get me wrong, I, I don't think it's a sin to eat candy, but if it's all about the candy, you know, maybe you should call it Feaster instead of Easter, right? <laughs> No, what's it really about, you guys? Uh, for some, it's simply a religious routine. They perhaps were raised in, you know, first it's church time, and then it's family time, and maybe within that family time, it's party time. You know, but man, today I just pray that within our hearts, it would be God time. Lord, I'm here for you. I'm not here for man. I'm not here for anything else but you. And we're all here in different places in our walk. Some of you here, you're just, you love the Lord. You're healthy Christians. You've come to worship him. Others, we find ourselves struggling. Some may not know the Lord. But today, I pray it would be a God time, and even all the time, but especially today as we celebrate the resurrection from the dead. I want to begin first in Matthew 28, just by reading the story to you, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to a few points out of just the whole concept of resurrection because in Matthew 28 it says on the, on the, after the Sabbath as the first day of the week began to dawn Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb Man, these ladies are so faithful and behold there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it his countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and they passed out. And they became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Hey, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen, there it is, risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and notice great joy and ran to bring his disciples the word. You know, that's the story in a nutshell. When you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you realize there were a little other variables. There were different women involved, a couple of angels. Um, Mary, you know, hung out until she saw him. Uh, on that Sunday, Jesus actually appeared to 10 people that very day. But man, after Jesus died, crucified, they lost hope in so many ways. These ladies were coming, not expecting to see this wonderful occurrence. But as they came, they, they found out that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. 
And so today, in that story, in that wonderful truth, um, what I want to share with you guys is a couple of uh, main points regarding the resurrection of Christ, and then some kind of vital parts to those points that I believe can strengthen our faith as Christians and even bring some to faith to be Christians today. If you're here as a Christian, my heart goes out to you. You know, we're not just here for the lost. We're here for the Christian as well. I want God, my prayer, truly, I mean, just completely, radically, that God would touch the heart of the believer today and that God would touch the heart of the non-believer, whoever you are and wherever you are, from the one who knows for a very fact that they're a sinner to the one who's moral and good and thinks they don't need Jesus, from the one whose life seems to be falling apart to the other who thinks life could not be better, I just pray that you would give God his chance, his attention that he deserves today. Because I really believe that every single person here is not here by random chance, but that God has brought us together in order to give us a message of love and life and salvation. And you've got to realize that we as a church, our heart is for everyone to know that love. You know, that love of the Lord and be given that spiritual life that only He can give. Salvation from damnation because we've all sinned. Every single person here, the Bible says that all have sinned. Everyone has sinned. We've all done wrong. We've all fallen short. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. I pray that today would be the day, Easter Sunday, 2014, that you would know the forgiveness that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we've got to deal with the sin. As Adrian Rogers said, your sin will be pardoned in Christ or punished in hell, but it will not be overlooked. You see, sin is what separates man from God. That's very bad news to be separated from God. But the good news is Jesus, that Jesus died for our sins to reconcile us to God, that he was put in a grave, but on the third day he rose again to prove who he was, to seal the deal, so to speak. As many of you have heard me say many times, the cross of Calvary is the payment for sins, and the resurrection is the receipt. Where will you go when you die? What's your future? Where are you going? Uh, how many of you have heard of that guy, Albert Einstein? You're like, hey, he's almost as smart as me. Huh? That's what you're thinking, right? You know, Albert Einstein was a genius. Uh, Time Magazine didn't call him the man of the year. Uh, Time Magazine called him the man of the century, Albert Einstein knew so much, but one of the things that's kind of encouraging for me anyways is he was an absent-minded kind of guy. And so um, one day, Albert Einstein was on a train leaving Princeton, and the conductor came by to punch the ticket, and Einstein couldn't find his ticket, and he's searching his pockets, looking in his briefcase, he couldn't find his ticket, and the conductor said, Dr. Einstein, don't worry, I, I know you bought a ticket, I know who you are, Dr. Einstein. No worries. You're fine. You know, you're good. And, and so the conductor went to the other uh, passengers, and he was punching their tickets. And as he looked down, he saw Dr. Einstein on his knees, uh, looking under the seat, uh, going back and forth. And so he went to him, and he said, uh, Dr. Einstein, sir, it's okay. I know who you are. Don't worry. You don't need a ticket. To which Einstein replied, and I know who I am, too. I just want to know where I'm going. <laughs> 
And you know, we, we got to know the, the, the same thing. I mean, seriously, where are you going? What, what path are you on? You don't want to be an absent-minded professor, brilliant, but lost. Where are you headed? If you stay on the road that you're on today, do you know for sure that you will die one day in the presence of Almighty God? I, my prayer is that we would know this. You know, you might exist, but you don't have real life until you come to Christ. And so I want to share a couple of things, um, main things, and then my prayer is that you would be strengthened and that you would be saved. Number one, I want to look first at the proof of the resurrection, the proof of the resurrection. And within that, I want to see, first of all, the proof for the resurrection, the proof for it. You know, some call the resurrection the capstone of Christianity, and it is. I mean, there must be an abundance of proof that it actually historically, realistically took place. You know, we got to know for sure that Jesus died from, Jesus rose from the grave, and there's lots we can talk about. But in our time here today, I want to consider a few things as proof for the resurrection. The first thing being is this, that the body of Christ was never found. Not a dead body, that is. How do we know? I mean, here you are. Maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you're a Christian. You don't even know these things. How do we know for sure that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, you have to look at the evidence. And the first thing is, the body of Christ was never found. Not a dead body, that is. You got to think about that. You know, recently I heard about a murder investigation where... In order to make a pivotal point in their testimony, the DA had to dig up a body. And he had to dig up a body that had already been buried. Uh, They needed to determine if the victim's contact lenses were still in her eyes when she died. Because this would make a strong point that the husband had indeed murdered his wife. And so they dug up her body. Uh, Sad to say, they were still in her eyes, and he did kill her. You see, if necessary, even if you have to go down to the grave to get a buried body, you will do so. If necessary, you will find the body to prove your point. But the religious leaders back then, the Jews of that day, even though they hated the Christians and everything that they lived and died for, they never, ever, ever produced the body of Christ. The simple, tangible evidence that would be necessary to debunk and defeat the disciples. As a matter of fact, what they did was they fabricated a a silly story that the disciples came and stole the body. You can read about that in Matthew 28, verse 13. So, you know, no body to be found. Uh, Oh, yeah, well, the disciples came and stole the body. That was their only explanation. But that's impossible for a couple of reasons. Number one, there were Roman soldiers guarding the tomb to make sure that didn't take place. And remember, in the tomb, there's only one way in, one way out. In order to steal the body, they would have had to, you know, move a massive stone that weighed close to two tons, and they would have to get by the Roman soldiers who stood guard. And so, you know, there's no way that could have happened because, number two, the disciples were fearful for their lives. Last time I checked. I mean, you guys remember the story. They thought the Lord lost when he died. So why would these men, these fearful men, suddenly risk their lives to steal the body of someone they consider to be a loser? You see, 
the resurrection really happened. Jesus really did conquer the coffin and defeat death and gut the grave. We know because the evidence is overwhelming. Number one, they never produced a body. And there is no way the disciples could have stolen the body. You know, when the temple guards arrested Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples fled for their lives. So now if they're terrified of the temple guards, how much more so would they be of the Roman guards? These Roman soldiers were bad dudes, if you know what I mean. I mean, if they were to guard a body, dead or alive, they would make sure that no one got in and no one got out because any failure on their part would mean that they themselves would be executed, which is something that actually happened in Acts 12, 19 when the soldiers failed to guard Peter who was set free by an angel. The Roman soldiers were put to death. There was no way they stole the body. See, they never produced a body. Don't believe the lie that the disciples stole the body. That's impossible. His dead body was never found, proving his resurrection from the dead. Second thing that proves that he rose are the witnesses. How many of you guys done jury duty recently? You guys like that? You should, you good American citizens, you. You know, and if you're listening to a case, uh, what are you really wanting to hear? You know, if you're on one of these cases, what do you want? You want witnesses, right? Any type of jury, when considering any type of case, would want to know if there were any eyewitnesses. One would be helpful, two would be better, three would be great, and four or more, oh man, now you're almost certain that this happened. But Jesus had 500 witnesses. 500. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, Moreover, brethren, in verse 1, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. Now, just in case you're wondering what the gospel is, how does somebody get to heaven? Here it's just laid out straight, man. Look what he says. Uh, by which you're saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for your sins, past, present, and future, right? According to the scriptures. And then he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. See, that's the simple truth of what Jesus did. And it says right here that if you believe by faith, then the gospel says, the good news says, that you're saved. It says right here, and verse 5, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me, also as by one born out of due time. You see, we know for a fact that Jesus rose from the dead because they never produced a body and because of all the witnesses, man. There were 500 witnesses. You know, it's interesting, 1 Corinthians was written 20 years after Jesus' death. And so think about it. For 20 years, all these witnesses were spreading the word, which, by the way, explains part of the reason why Christianity grew so rapidly after Jesus died. Because no one would follow a dead leader, right? They followed a living leader. But here we have 500 witnesses, and Paul says that some had died, but most of them were still alive. And so you look at this, and the eyewitnesses here, it's interesting. They weren't just followers and friends 
It says right here in verse 7 that Jesus also appeared to James, who was a non-believing brother at one time, according to John chapter 7, verse 5. And these witnesses of his resurrection not only consisted of followers, friends, and unbelieving family, but even of hostile foes. We read that there in verse 9 and 8, where Paul said, Hey, then last of all, he was seen by me, also as by one born out of due time. I mean, these are key witnesses. These are core witnesses. These are not just witnesses who would be interested in for their own agenda. These are individuals who were anti-Christ, Paul being the king of those who would come against Christ. These witnesses of his resurrection consisted of followers, friends, unbelieving family, and even hostile foes. Here we read of Paul, formerly known as Saul. The guy was a big-time enemy. This guy was so bad, we read in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 3, that he made havoc of the church, and he entered houses, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. In Acts, chapter 9, verse 1, he threatened to kill the disciples. In Acts, chapter 26, verse 11, it says we read that Saul punished Christians in every synagogue, compelling them to blaspheme and deny the Lord, and being exceedingly enraged against them, he says, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In Acts chapter 22, verse 4, Paul said, I persecute this way to the death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women. I mean, he was responsible for the death of Christians. And so this is not a friend. This is not a follower. This is not a family member. This is a full-on foe. This is an enemy. So what could possibly change such a man to be the key witness in the case for Christ, and the only answer is the living Lord, that Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead. Jesus appeared to him, according to Acts chapter 9, on the way to Damascus. Jesus is alive. Talk about a pretty powerful witness. I think that Paul's witness should convince all of us. You know, Paul went on to plant many churches, spreading the gospel to modern-day Turkey and Greece and even Rome. Some say all the way to Spain. He went on to write at least 13 of the 27 New Testament books of the Bible. What a witness he was. Why? Because Jesus was alive. I read a story about a, an elementary schoolboy who was given an assignment by his teacher to write a one-page paper on his greatest living hero. He chose to write his paper all about Jesus. Well, the teacher, Mr. Thomas, returned the paper to the little boy and told him, I'm sorry, son, the man you wrote on must be alive. And the little boy replied, Don't be sorry, Mr. Thomas. Be happy. Now you know Jesus is alive. Right? And he testified. I mean, and when you look at the evidence, it's not just a sample of evidence. It's an ample of proof that Jesus did rise from the dead. His body was never found. There were over 500 witnesses. And then there's the dying death and breath of all his disciples. You know, if you think about it, so much of this hinges on whether or not the apostles of Jesus really saw the risen Lord. We know Judas betrayed Christ and hung himself. That leaves 11 apostles. Uh, we know that John was not martyred. Uh, they tried to kill him, put him in boiling oil. He didn't die, but then they just banished him to Patmos. But that leaves 10 disciples or 10 apostles left. What happened to all these guys? 
What happened to all these followers of Christ? You want to know what happened to all of them? All of them, every single one of them were martyred for their faith in Christ, for the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. And you know the interesting thing is, when you study history and you look at all these different guys, if only they renounced the resurrection, just the resurrection, if they only said, it's true, he didn't die, then they themselves would not have had to die because everything hinges on the resurrection. But when you study history, it's so amazing to see the way that they died for this truth. We know that James, the son of Zebedee, was killed with a sword in Acts chapter 12. Peter died a little over 30 years after the death of Christ when he was crucified upside down in Rome. Andrew was crucified in Achaia on an olive tree. Philip evangelized in Phrygia, where hostile Jews had him tortured and then crucified. Bartholomew, who's also known as Nathaniel, was unwilling to recant his proclamation of the risen Lord, was then skinned alive. He was flayed and then crucified. Matthew was beheaded in Ethiopia due to his witness of the resurrection. Thomas was killed in India. He was thrust through with spears, tormented with red-hot plates, and burned to death. James Alpheus was cast off the temple uh, by the scribes and Pharisees. When he fell, he was still alive, so they stoned him and then used Fuller's Club to beat out his brains. Simon the Zealot, historians tell us, went on to proclaim the good news to Egypt, Cyrene, Africa, Britain, Libya, Persia. He finally died when he verified the testimony of the risen Lord, was also crucified in Syria. And then Judas, also known as Thaddeus, preaching the risen Christ to those in Mesopotamia, was beaten to death. You can include Paul in the list if you want to, who was beheaded for his testimony for the resurrection. You see, the martyr's death of the apostles is proof for the validity and reality of the resurrection. Because if you think about it, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, why would they die for a lie? They knew the truth. Like what Adrian Rogers said, he said, Hypocrites and martyrs are not made of the same material. People tell lies to get out of trouble, right, guys? <laughs> they tell lies to get out of trouble, not into trouble. A man may live for a lie, but none would ever die for a lie if they know it's a lie. All the apostles died terrible deaths because of the fact that they were witnesses of the resurrection that they knew to be true. You know, I've told you guys before a little bit about Simon Greenleaf, but I haven't given you a lot of details. I want to read to you his story here. He was born in 1783. He was a brilliant man, helped to put Harvard on the map, uh, the Harvard Law School. He wrote the three-volume Legal Masterpiece. It's a book entitled A Treatise on the Law of Evidence, which is still regarded today as the greatest single authority in the entire literature of legal procedure the U.S. judicial system today continues to operate on rules of evidence established by this man, Simon Greenleaf. But he did not believe in the resurrection. While teaching law at Harvard, uh, Professor Greenleaf stated to the class that the resurrection of Jesus was just a legend 
As an atheist, he thought miracles to be impossible. But what happened? In a rebuttal, three of his law students challenged him to apply his acclaimed rules of evidence to the resurrection account. After much prodding, Greenlee finally accepted his student's challenge and began an investigation into the evidence, focusing his brilliant legal mind on the facts of history. Greenleaf attempted to disprove the resurrection account. Yet the more Greenleaf investigated the record of history, the more stunned he was at the powerful evidence supporting the claim that Jesus had indeed risen from the tomb. Greenleaf was unable to explain several dramatic changes that took place shortly after Jesus died, the most baffling being the behavior of the disciples. It wasn't just one of them or two of them or some of them. It was all of them. They all insisted that Jesus had risen from the dead. And so applying his own rules of evidence to the facts, Greenleaf arrived at his verdict. And in a shocking reversal of his position, Greenleaf accepted Jesus' resurrection as the only explanation for the events that took place after his crucifixion. To this brilliant scholar and former atheist, it would have been impossible for the disciples to persist with their conviction that Jesus had risen if they hadn't actually seen the risen Christ. And so in his book, The Testimony of the Evangelist, Greenleaf documents the evidence that caused him to change his mind. And in his conclusion, he challenges those who seek the truth about the resurrection to fairly examine the evidence. He was so persuaded by it that he became a committed follower of Jesus Christ. He believed that any unbiased person who honestly examines the evidence will conclude what he did, that Jesus has risen from the dead. You see, and the reason I share that with you, I believe for us as Christians, it strengthens our faith. You know, for us as Christians, I know, and, and you know, for me, when I got saved, it, I, I didn't know all the evidence, I didn't know all the facts. All I know is that God came into my life. You know, in one sense, I saw him too. In one sense, the day that I got saved and I submitted my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I saw the risen Lord, but that's a personal experience. Now what we have is the personal experience combined with the overwhelming facts, and we know without a shadow of a doubt, like Paul said, when he was about to die, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able. You see, there is the proof for the resurrection, but, but what is the proof? So you're here today, and you're like, okay, maybe he really did rise from the dead. Well, what does it prove? a lot of things. Um, the first one, let's go over to John chapter 2. I see the proof for it, but what is the proof of it? What does it prove? And I think here in John chapter 2, we have an interesting story where, where Jesus was cleaning house, where Jesus went into the temple and he saw they were ripping off the people. He saw that they were selling and you know, they were, you know, just gorging the people, and they weren't praying, they weren't doing the things that they should be doing in the house of the Lord, and so he went in, you guys remember, and he turned over the money changer's table, and he, you know, made a, a whip, and he just drove people out of the temple, and so when he did this, uh, we read here in John chapter 2, verse 18, the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days, 
I will raise it up. And then Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. You see, they asked him for a sign. Hey, you want a clean house? Hey, you want to come in here and you know, clean out this temple? Well, show us a sign. And, and Jesus said, okay, I'll give you a sign. I'm going to die and rise again. I'm going to prove to you, number one, my authority. Jesus is basically saying, I have the authority over your life. I have the authority over your temple. I have the authority over your congregation as a temple. I have authority over you because your body is the temple. Number one, it proves his authority because he rose from the dead. But number two, it proves his deity, that he is God. You see, Romans 1 is a good verse you might want to write down. In verse 4, when it speaks of Jesus, it is declared to be the, the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, how? By the resurrection from the dead. See, we have the proof of the resurrection, but what does it prove about Jesus? Well, it proves that he has authority over us, over us as our temple of God, and it proves that he is God, the deity of Christ, He's the Son of God. He's God the Son. The Jews saw this, if you read Matthew 26, 63 through 66, anybody who claimed to be the Son of God was claiming to be God. Do you believe that about Jesus? Some people think, oh, he's just a random rabbi, a typical teacher, a passing prophet. He's just another one of these religious guys. No, he was God, and he died for you. God died for you. I mean, who can clean the house of God? God. Who can clean your house? Who can rearrange your house? Imagine if I went over your house and I just started cleaning, you know, your house. You'd be like, please do, right? Some of you are, are probably thinking that, right? But, you know, let's just say, I, I mean, I got crazy. I went in there, hey, I don't like this dog. You know, I got rid of your dog and your pets. And, you know, I started bringing in my furniture or whatever. You know, just kind of like, you know, taking over the house. Wait a minute, I'm not the owner, you are. And the one who cleans house, my heart, my temple, is God because he's the owner. You see, Jesus comes in, they say, hey, what sign do you show us that we can, you can do such a thing? And the Lord says, this is the sign. I will die and rise again. It proves my authority and it proves my deity. You know, who can conquer death? Anybody here can conquer death on your own power? Anybody here? You know, it makes sense to me to say that one who can conquer death is life. Life. Only life can conquer death. And that's who God is and none other. You know, Jesus said in John 6, 48, I am the bread of life. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. You see, the proof for the resurrection is overwhelming, and the proof of the resurrection is Jesus' authority and his deity, because only God could conquer death. You know, others have tried, but they have failed miserably. Maybe you've heard of uh, Harry Houdini, 
the greatest escape artist of all time, um, probably the greatest. Uh, he was a, a man born in uh, the 1800s. He died in 1926. He, back then, was a sensation of his time. It seemed that there was no way to imprison Harry Houdini. I mean, they would put him in jails, the best of jails, and somehow in a few moments he would come out. Uh, they would put handcuffs on him, but they simply fell off. They would sew him up in canvas bags and out he would come. They would rivet him into huge milk cans, uh, couldn't hold him in. He was sealed in boilers, even welded in, but out he came. He was one time put in a coffin, chains were wrapped all around. He was thrown into the river, but it didn't take long for him to swim to the surface. Some were convinced that this man had supernatural powers. He had the flexibility of an eel, the mind of a genius, the lives of a cat. The world was coming to believe that he could escape anything. But in October of 1926, Harry Houdini died. But prior to his death, he had experimented with contact with the dead. It's called necromancy, clairvoyance, fortune-telling. He wasn't really convinced of all these things, but he did determine uh, somehow to escape death and conquer it. And what he planned to do was to communicate with his wife, Bess. And so he told his wife, and he gave her a secret code. He said that on my birthday, I will contact you, for I will conquer death. And so what ended up happening was uh, he told his wife, sensitize your mind, be ready on my birthday and so there she was she lit a candle she sat next to his picture and waited for him to contact her but it didn't happen that first year and so she tried again the next year and it didn't happen and the next year and it didn't happen and the next year and it didn't happen for 10 years she lit a candle and she sat next to his picture hoping that his, her husband, Harry Houdini, would indeed be able to conquer death, but he was not able until finally that last year she extinguished the candle and she realized that he could not defeat death. But Jesus did, right? His body was placed in the tomb. Three days later, he burst out in all his glory, like a butterfly leaving its cocoon, leaving the grave clothes behind, he did rise. He did what Harry and no one else could ever do. And then from there, everything falls into place. Since he's God, it validates his apostolic message, his messengers, the Bible. And from there, we are to be witnesses of the resurrection. You know, it's crazy to me, it's tragic that there are some preachers, uh, some guys out there that don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. But 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. This is so vital to us. We must believe in the resurrection. And you must hear that message from your pastor that Jesus Christ is indeed risen from the dead. And I heard a story about a preacher who went into a barber shop and he got his hair cut and he started to pay the barber who wouldn't let him pay. He said, no, that's all right. You're a pastor. I'm not going to charge you. I wish I knew who that was, but that's a side point, right? <laughs> oh, you're a pastor, man. I'm not going to charge you. And the pastor said, no, I want to pay. 
He said, no, I'll tell you what, I'll come and listen to you preach, and I'll let your payment be through your sermons. And the barber said, well, that's okay, but I don't have any $10 sermons. And then the barber said, well, I'll come twice. And along those lines, let me just say this to you guys, that a preacher who serves a sermon without a belief in the resurrection of Jesus is not worth a penny of our time. You see, Jesus has indeed risen from the dead. There is proof for it, and the proof of it is his authority and his deity. Let me close with this, you guys. The proof of the resurrection is so clear. It's so clear. But, but what does it mean to us? What does it mean to me? Why does it bring such joy to my heart? And the thing is, 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 is the second point, and that is the power of the resurrection. You see, the power of the resurrection is something that we can take and we can take home with us. Number one, let me just say this. It's the power to save you. To save you. You know, apart from Christ, we're lost, we're dead in our sins, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, And you he made alive who were dead in your sins. Because of the power of Christ, we have now power to be saved. You know, I remember before I was a Christian, I used to hear a lot of Christian stuff, but I never really understood it. Why? Because I was dead in my sins. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. You know, when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, they didn't immediately die physically, but they did die spiritually. And they were then banished from the garden and separated from God. But you see, the power of God brings life to our spirit. It saves us. I'll never forget the day I was given life from the Lord. I didn't understand a lot. I didn't know a lot. All I knew was I was a sinner who needed salvation. I knew I needed Jesus, and God saved me. Secondly, the power of God is not only present to save us and to quicken us and to give us life as Christians, but the power of God is available to sanctify us, to sanctify us for the rest of your life. How is your life? And my prayer is that we really would be walking as Christians in the power of the Holy Spirit. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, according to Romans chapter 6. You know, when you were born again, you were born to win. God's plan for you and me is victory. I pray that we would be walking in that power. There's no addiction. There's no affliction, no drug or thug, no person or passion, circumstance or happenstance. There's no trial that should defile us. There's no difficulty over me. Man, what we see, God says, it can't make me sin. Why? Because I've been set free. Now I'm free. I'm free to be the husband that God's called me to be. I'm free to be the father, the servant, hopefully the man of God that I want to be. And I could never have done this on my own strength. I think every day we got to choose. It's kind of like for those of you who maybe you have a hybrid vehicle. Does anybody here have one of those vehicles? I don't know a lot about it, but from what I understand, you have the option of choosing gas or electric, right? Something like that. Every day you have the option 
as a Christian, to choose your strength or God's strength. And I think what happens a lot of times, too many times, is we choose to walk in our own strength. And this is why we are struggling. We are being defeated. We are being crushed by the enemy. No, we have the power of God. That power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power to save us, the power to sanctify us, and the power to send us to heaven when we die. You know, I'll never be perfect, but, but my prayer is that one day I'll be proper. You know, I'm not the man I want to be, but I'm not the man I used to be. See, and that's what happens when we come to the Lord. And then one day, when we die, we will go to heaven. When we die, there will be the power of God to transform our bodies and to give it that glorified body. There in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it speaks of a celestial body. You know, I don't know about you, I'm getting older. Yesterday I was playing basketball, basketball with my, my son. And uh, pray for me, I'm on a journey to get in shape, okay? But man, you know, he's like, hey, Dad, let's play up to five. I said, well, no, let's play up to three, you know? And I tell you what, I should have just said, let's play up to one. <laughs> no, but one day I'm going to get a new body. One day I'm going to be home in heaven. One day I'm going to see God. You know, today, and I'll, I'll just share this with you guys. I, I looked online, because you know how when you go online, you can ask any question, and all the answers are there? I asked a little question online. I said, how much power does it take to get to the moon? And I, I couldn't really find the answer. The only reason I wanted to find the answer, however, was just to give you like this, this concept of understanding the power that would be required, the power that would be required to, to move a car or to fly a plane or to get a, a shuttle into space or, or someone on the moon, the power that it would be, be required for someone like me to go to heaven, the only way I could have that power is by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And I read today an article about a woman who was trying to find her birth mother. Um, And so what she did was she put a picture of herself on social media to find her birth mother. mother. And the report says this, it took about three days. It took about three days for Hannah to get the name she was looking for. And she said things are are happening. She had waited all her life. She said, I felt like I was going to throw up. I wanted to scream. It was three days later, 50,000 people, thousands of people saw the picture and couldn't help but spread the word. And within an hour, I had a thousand tweets and hundreds of shares on Facebook. It was a simple photo. She just put it a simple photo uh, with a little sign. And it said, my name is Hannah. I was born April 12th, 1995 at Des Moines Hospital in Iowa. My birth mom was 15 years old. I was adopted through a closed adoption, and I'm trying to find my mom. 
And so what happened? The message went out. And, and in her attempt to find her mom, she was successful. And the article says, they're reconciled. And I read that article, and I thought, Lord, that's kind of what we're wanting to do here. There's a whole bunch of your children who have strayed away from you. Lord, my prayer today is that they would find their father. That today they would return to God. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. He made you. He loves you. You're created in his image. But you went your own way. You know, now what we find is God is saying on this Easter Sunday, I want to reconcile you to myself. The Bible says in the book of Hosea, chapter 6, verse 1, Come and let us return to the Lord. If you're here today and you've drifted away, my prayer is that you would return to the Lord. You know, and that goes for Christians, that goes for, for non-Christians. You know, one day we're going to be home, we're going to be there. You know, I'll be honest with you, I kind of want to go there, uh, like now. <laughs> you know, that's the splitter-quitter part of me, but the part of my heart that realizes I still need to stay is the part of my heart that needs to say, Jesus loves you. And if you're not right with God and you want to be forgiven, my prayer is that today you would come forward. I believe with all my heart that he is here, ready to meet you, ready to give you strength, ready to wash away your sins, ready to breathe life on you. That he is here. But like we saw in the video, you got to get up. You got to get out of your seat. You got to come to the cross of Jesus Christ. God's a perfect gentleman. He will never force you. My prayer is that today you would make that decision. Christians who have drifted away, people who have never ever made that profession of faith, that today would be the day of salvation. One day we'll be home. I love this saying right here. It says, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins away. Rising, he justified freely forever, and one day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. One day we'll be home, and my prayer is that your home will be heaven after you've made that decision to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and your grace in our life. Lord, there's no question. There is no question you love us. You died for us. There is no question you rose from the dead. Lord, there is no question your authority, Lord, your deity. Lord, there is no question the proof of the resurrection. Now, Lord, I pray for the power of the resurrection. Lord, I know you love these people so much. And I pray they would know that. Lord, and I pray they would not be ashamed to make a public stand for you, Lord, and to come forward 
and to rededicate their life or receive you as the Lord for the first time. God, do that work that only you can do. I would ask today, we ask today, in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you. I wonder maybe even how many might be having problems with some type of an addiction. And, uh, and just there's so many things that we could probably name that you're, you're, you're going through in your life. Uh, I think we will always have these types of battles um, until we're home in heaven. And uh, the enemy is relentless. And so, you know, I wanted to just uh, ask uh, Henry here and, and Mark and just to kind of comment. We have a timer, so we won't be here all day. Otherwise, we would be. <laughs> uh, probably about 15, 20 minutes or so. Um, and uh, just uh, if I could ask you to begin with you, Mark. Um, when you see that video um, and you think of, you know, the, all the people that are here even today that find themselves maybe going through situations in life. And then there's that, there's that invitation. There's that call to come to the cross. Uh, what does that mean to you? If I could just put you on the spot like that, Mark. First of all, do you hear me? Um, just on my part in the Calvary Chapel, Omani, just want to welcome you also and just say that you guys are all sparkling. And it's, you wouldn't think that of yourself, but when you look at you through God's eyes, that's all you see especially if you ask to be cleansed by the blood of Christ. And as reference to the, to the video, it's, it's just an amazing thing. If we read in, in chapter 5 of Romans, uh, verse 6, it tells us that uh, when we were, out, were without strength, in due time, Jesus died for the ungodly. And that brings to mind my own experience. I mean, I would look at myself in the mirror, and day after day, week after week, year after year, I would look at myself and say, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. And I would try, and I'd fall on my face. And the enemy would tell me what he might be telling you today. You're not worthy. You're not worthy. And you know what? None of us are worthy. He's right on that point. But if we heard the verse I, I cited, he died for us when we were without strength. That means we couldn't do anything for ourselves. We were still sinners. We were on the enemy lines. We were the enemy, and he died for us. And he would make us think that when we come through these doors, we can't do anything about it. Again, the enemy is right. But who can do it? Jesus. That spilt blood on the cross. That empty tomb. And I, I just think of that, and I, I, I wish I could just, by osmosis, make that go into our hearts and our brains. But you know what? I can't convince you. You've got to open up your heart. Jesus will come in, take residence, and he will cleanse you. 
if you're willing to repent, if you're willing to just raise your eyes and eyes and put your eyes upon the cross, that empty cross, and realize that that tomb is empty. I mean, that's just so, so awesome. The Lord is good. He loves you abundantly more than I ever could, and I love you a lot. So lift up your eyes to Christ. Amen? This is kind of a tradition that we have here, and I didn't get to do it. Um, so, you know, they've been doing this for a long time. Someone says he is risen, and what do we answer? He is risen indeed. So we're going to try it, all right? We're going to wake up the neighbors. Ready? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Amen. I, I, um, I love that video, but, you know, even more than that video, yesterday um, some of us got the opportunity to go out to the streets of Almani to, sh- to pass out flyers to invite people um, to the service. And what I saw in the video is what I saw in the streets of Almani. Um, I saw a brokenness in people. I saw a hopelessness in people. I saw people going about their way, busy about their things, thinking about their problems, obviously, um, ignoring the world around them. And you know, as I was, I was passing out the, the invitations, I just kept thinking, Lord, how the world needs you. You know, how the world needs you. We are, uh, we are in this, this part of life, this part of, of, of the world where there is no hope, you know. And the world, you could see it. You could see them just being crushed under that weight of the hopelessness that's out there. And I just kept thinking, Jesus, you're the answer. You're the answer to that. And, and it's not just for those that are outside, because I don't know, they're hard. Perhaps some of them do know the Lord, you know. This is, I think a lot of you know the Lord. But it's, the cross is also for us. The cross is also for every Christian in here. You know, my wife and I last night watched The Passion. And some of you might have had the opportunity to watch it um, because of, you know, the Holy Week. And I just kept thinking, Lord, um, just kind of similar to what Mark just said, you know. There is no way, no way that any of us can do anything or be good enough. And you have to go through that pain. And you have to go through that agony, through that shame. And so what it was just a reminder to me is that there's nothing that I can do. There's nothing that none of us can do. It's all been done for us. Amen? It's all been done for us. And as, as Christians, we need to go to the cross. We need to go to the cross daily. We need to remember that. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians. Because it says, I have been crucified with Christ. Galatians uh, 2.20. Um, it is no longer I who live, um, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live, I live uh, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And if you hear that scripture just on the forefront, you think, okay, this is Paul kind of, you know, snapping his collar, right? It's no longer I who live, it is Christ who lives in me. But if you read it in contrast, what it's saying is, apart from the law, I'm done. There is nothing that I can do, nothing. It is no longer me, like Mark says, trying to get up every morning, and we need to do that, right? We need to do that, but it, it, not relying on that, not, not you know, seeking our value from, from how, how we live, but what Christ has done through us and, and allowing him to live, allowing the cross to live through us. And that's just the message that I've been getting the last couple of days. Um, my wife went to um, Sam's Club yesterday, and she was paying 
you know, she has a, a Calvary Chapel card. And uh, the lady says, the cashier says, oh, you, you go to Calvary Chapel? And she says, yes, I do. And she says, oh, that's good. And uh, she says, are you a Christian? And she says, yes, I am. And so they started talking. The cashier asked her, how, you know, how's your day? And my wife's like, great, it's good. Um, how about your day, she asked. And she said, well, not too good. And my wife said, well, what's going on? Is it the customers? You know, usually it's us customers, right? And uh, she said, no. She says, my husband has stage four cancer. And I went home for lunch, and, and he didn't want to eat anymore. And, you know, that's a sad situation when they stop eating, she said. And so my wife was just caught in that moment, you know. But she had the power of the cross. She had the hope of the cross, even to a Christian, as a reminder Jesus has done it. Jesus is taking care of it. Jesus can heal. And if he doesn't, wow, does he have something waiting for him on the other side. Amen. And that's the hope that we have to live in every day. Yeah, you know, um, I really want to encourage you today. If um, if you're, you know, struggling or just basically if you're not sure where you stand, in, in God's sight, in eternity. Um, Easter service is, a, is an awesome, uh, a beautiful opportunity for you to get right with the Lord. For you, um, like those people in the video, they just, they, they, they came, you know, they, they, they took those steps of faith and, uh, and they came to the Lord. And also for Christians, and this was really heavy on my heart this morning as I was praying to God, I was just saying, Lord, there's a lot of Christians who are, who are, who are just kind of, um, they're walking without power, and uh, and today is an opportunity for for us Christians as well to take a step of faith and and to just um, to you know they, it's been said this the Christian life is a series of new beginnings, in, to ask God to to touch you and to ask God to fill you with His Spirit. And to give you the strength, because um, we can't do it on our own. And so, you know, for me, uh, working in a church, a lot of times I forget just the practical problems that people are going through in life. But I just want you to know that um, whatever it is you're going through today, you can come to the Lord, man. You can come to Him as a Christian. You can come to Him uh, on that cross. He, he loves you. He died for you. And I believe that today, uh, no matter who you are, maybe you didn't come to, um, you weren't expecting for God to do a new work in your life because you're already saved. But the Lord, I think he really, he, he shared with me, there are many Christians who need the power of the Holy Spirit. And that power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you. But you have to take that step of faith. Somehow, some way today, and so um, I want to encourage you, open your hearts uh, to what the Lord might want to do.